we are in week two of our faithful biblical soul care. Um, last week we, we had a great discussion on um, kind of the components of saving faith, and there were three parts to it. Um, you see on, on your, as we review from last week, saving faith is more than knowledge, and it is more than just affirming the knowledge that you have. It's more than just knowing some things about Jesus, and it's more than just saying, yes, those things about Jesus are true. Uh, it requires, um, we, had, we read a definition from Wayne Grudem, and he said, saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. And the thing that we wanted to really focus in on was the trust part. So if I trust Jesus Christ, then that has a, a, an effect on how I behave, how I think, how I speak. If I say that I trust Jesus and I don't live how he tells me to live, I don't really trust him. Okay? I'm in the category with a lot of Christians in our culture today who say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yeah, he's, he is God's son. He, he did come and die for sins, but it has no bearing on the rest of my life. Okay? My life is, my marriage is no different. My parenting is no different. My work is is no different. My language is no different than anyone else who does not believe in Jesus. Okay, so to trust Jesus is to look to him, to, it is, yes, to know about him. It is to affirm that what we read in the Bible is true. It is also to live it out. And so we talked about that a lot uh, last week. Um, we talked about also that faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. Saving faith requires faith and repentance. And they both have this, this three parts to it. That knowledge, you do have to know some things to repent. You have to affirm some things, that those things are true. And you have to do an action, and that is the, the forsaking of the sin, all of your sin, and turning towards the Lord. And that, that third part, that action, is often what's missing also. When we talk about saving faith and repentance. So we, we were about to pick up on page three here, faithful counsel. And as we consider biblical counseling and soul care, many of our own struggles and sins, as well as the struggles and sins of other people, are directly impacted by our understanding and remembering the glorious realities of salvation. So what we're about to do is there are uh, a series of words here. I believe there's nine of them on the, the rest of the the handout, starting with election and calling and regeneration. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to split up into groups, and in your group, you're going to, I'm going to give you one of those doctrines, okay? And your job is to read the verses that are there. You're going to discuss with your small group the an and answer the questions. Have somebody who needs to write them down. You're going to have to also elect somebody to speak for your group. And then, when we get to that, that doctrine, your, your spokesperson is going to share, you're going to read the definition, and answer, we'll go through the answers to the questions. And then we'll have a short discussion where everybody else can chime in, um, and then we will move to the next one. Does that make sense? So this is like, so like I said, for the teachers in the room, which is, I see a couple, it's a couple mm -hmm. teachers, a jigsaw is where it's like somebody becomes really knowledgeable and focuses on one part of the whole, and then we all come, so every group is going to be really knowledgeable on one of them. We're going to come back, and then we're all going to learn about it together. But it's not going to be me talking the whole time. So, 
that is the plan here. So what I would like to do is we need to, let me see, make sure I counted these correctly. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There are nine ovens. I need nine groups. So, split. <laughs> Charles wants to be his own group. So, so here's what I like to do. Get in groups. Start with just about four people, and then we'll, we'll kind of count to see how many we have there. So, break up with people just right around you. Try to get into groups of nine. We're going to start with a letter A, election, um, which was Emily, your group, right? Mm -hmm. So. So election is defined as an act of God before creation in which he chooses some people to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but only because of his sovereign good pleasure. And um, we just wrote down key ver um, words from each of the passages. So in Acts, we wrote down the verb appointed. He appointed certain Gentiles to be saved in Romans, though they had not been born, referring to Isaac, um, Esau and Jacob. Thank you. And then Ephesians, before the foundation of the world. And then 2 Timothy, before the ages began. So those were like the key election words used. Um, how can this doctrine be a comfort to counselees? We said that um, our salvation is not based off of our works. So a uh, counselee who is very despairing of their sin, that can be reassuring. It can reassure us of God's love. So even when we're really struggling, we cannot out-sin God's love. And then as a counselor, we do not have the burden to save the counselee. And then... How can this doctrine be warped or twisted? <clears throat> you said that uh, people can have or view those who have this doctrine um, as those who have a lack of compassion for the lost. Um, it can be divisive. So like you, you're a Calvinist or you're Arminius, and it reminded us of the passage where it said, you follow Apollo or you follow Paul or you follow Christ. So you, it can be very divisive in that way mm -hmm. instead of following what scripture says. And then it can sound not loving from God that how dare he um, choose some and not others and condemn some and not others and how it can have a twisted view of God's holiness and our sinfulness. That's what we have. Any other comments? Let's go back to question number 12. Any other comments about how that the doctrine of election can be a comfort to counselees? Uh, their group said... Uh, good to think of God's love because in his love he elects he chooses some to be saved and then also that it was not on your works it's not based on you being good enough it's not based on you not doing something or doing if you've done this kind of sin then you you're just disqualified God's electing grace is out of his own love he sets his love on us from before the foundation of the world anything else that Ruth? I just wanted to know, what was the words on 2 Timothy 1.9? Before the ages began. Thank you. Hmm. Very good. And then it can be warped and twisted. Um, it, can, it can make counselees or, or people who are uh, really um, subscribing to Calvinism and this doctrine of election. It, it can be a thing where it's like, well, I, I'm just going to say the gospel. If they like it, I don't care. Because it's, you know, God, he's either elected him or not. I'll say it, and I don't have to do it in a loving way. I don't have to use compassion or be considerate. I'm just going to, whatever. 
because the, the word of God will save them and they're like, they're like them, they are. So this, this unloving or this uh, no winsomeness, um, not trying to make the gospel um, focus on, on Christ and the beauty of Christ and the compassion of Christ. And it's just, you know, turn or burn kind of mentality, right? So there's that kind of unloving uh, way that it can be twisted. Any other comments or, or questions about that doctrine? Well, why evangelize if people why? are better left or going to go? I don't need to evangelize. So that's one way that it can be. What, what's the answer to that? So, well, A, if I'm either elect or I'm not elect, why should I have to evangelize? God said so. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So, yeah, Paul says, hey, you. That's the, that's the way that people are saved. They have to hear the gospel, right? So the gospel has to be preached. He says that in two different spots in Romans. It takes quite a bit of time on it. In Romans chapter 1, what is the gospel? It is the gospel, the message, is the power of God for salvation. So if nobody hears the gospel message, they won't be saved. Okay? So that's on the human side. And so when we think about... Um, whether I should evangelize or not, we, we think God decided that the way that he would save sinners is by other sinners preaching the gospel and them responding. He will do the work of regeneration, and we'll talk, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and they will come, they'll place their faith in Christ because he elected them. But we don't know who's elect and who's not elect, and God tells us to preach the gospel, so we obey because we love and trust him. Anything else? Very good. Letter B, page four. Calling. Who had calling? Um, <laughs> calling. The proclamation of the gospel, which goes out to everyone who hears that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, who has accomplished redemption for all who believe. So Matthew, uh, a few words there. It, uh, rest to the weary, to everyone who hears. Um, Acts. Uh, repent of your sins, be baptized uh, and forgiven, guilt lifted, obedience, uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit if you're obedient. Mm -hmm. This is one I should have probably split up. So I probably should have you guys do this one. Because there's the general call that Perry's talking about right now, which is Jesus telling the Jews, the people in the, who are listening, come to me. But are all of them going to come to him? No. So there's a general call. Every time the pastor gets up and preaches a sermon, every time you share the gospel with someone, that's, that's a general call. You're calling that person to repent and put their faith in Christ. Okay? But that doesn't, they don't always do that. So, but yes, so how can that general call, Perry, sorry I interrupted you, on question 14, how can it be a comfort to counselees? Um, that if they do repent, and they'll be forgiven, and, but also the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you, you can call someone. It's a comfort to counselors, too. If, if I'm counseling someone who I thought was a Christian, but now I'm not sure, I come to Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. So I'm calling them to faith. But also, I mean, he will give rest to the weary. And he will give you rest. Yeah. You can offer. That's that offer of the gospel. The, the gift of God. 
the kindness of God in the gospel? How can it be warped or twisted? Well, it could be just superficial or emotional. Uh, uh, and, and uh, you know, maybe you have uh, said the words but never made a change. Yeah. You know, it's just uh, no indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, no heart change, no life change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes we, they're the come just as you are. That, now, that's a good thing to say, hey, don't try to clean your life up before you put your faith and repent. Don't do that. But at the same time, sometimes I've, I've heard that said in such a way that come just as you are. God doesn't care about your sin. Just, just come to church. You love Jesus. And then you just you keep going. Live your life. You know, there's, there's a lot of, especially in the area of uh, sexuality and gender right now, if you're paying attention to like some of the things that are going on in broader yeah, air quote Christianity, right? There's there's a lot of that. Well, God just loves you, and, and He, if you just love Jesus, come as you are. He accepts you, and so if you take that general call of the gospel, it's just this, you know, choose Jesus, and if that's where it stays, that's a problem, right? So there's more to it. There's more. The faith is not just the knowing of the fact, knowing of who of Jesus. And saying, yeah, I think I believe in him. That's not saving faith, like we learned last week. It's the trusting in him. It's the, the forsaking the sin, turning to him, putting our trust in Jesus as the one who, who purchased my salvation, who cleanses me from the sins that I need to forsake. So, very good. So, And then, Perry, go on to the effective call. Oh, did we do that one? So uh, <laughs> that's why I should have split it up. That's why. So the so there's two uh, the biblical um, in the systematic theology. They will talk about the general call, the preaching of the gospel. You know, Pastor Dave's sermon of, of the the sower who sows the seed. Okay, we we preach the gospel. Jesus, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. The effective call, though, is the work of God. To summon the elect to follow Christ through preaching through the preaching of the gospel. So let's go ahead real quick. Let's read some of these verses. 1 Corinthians 1. One nine is God is faithful through whom. You were called into fellowship for his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, so so he's talking to the church, the Christians, God is people who, and he says, by whom you were called into fellowship, into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay? For I consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's a calling... You know, I thought these were kind of weak calling scriptures. Yeah, so general call, effective call. I mean, Galatians 1, 15. 
But when he, who, this is Paul talking about himself, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So he's talking about, he set me apart from before, before I was born and then at the right time he called him. Okay. So that's that effectual call. How can that doctrine be a comfort? That's the irresistible call mm-hmm. to like, like Paul's conversion is a good example of it. Um, once you are called with the effective call, you will become Christ. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it, all, it comforts in the sense that if you're praying for someone and preaching the gospel to someone who has been hard and, and who has rejected it, do we give up? Do you have to give up? What if you've been doing it for five years, 10 years, 20 years, been praying for somebody? God's call is effective. So if, in, in the mercy of God, He has set that person apart for salvation, you don't have to give up hope that you know, they've rejected it 12 times. I've had this conversation with them, and every time it ends badly. And they call me a Bible thumper and a bigot and all the other things. And but praying that the Lord, because the Lord can, He holds the hearts of kings in His hands. They're like a river in His hands, and He directs them wherever He chooses. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He can save even the most hardened person that you're praying for. So how can it be warped or twisted or misused? Well, the flip side of what you just said, I don't need to pray for anybody because if the Lord's going to call them, He's going to call them, and so mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't need to do any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same thing with... Oh, oh sorry. Prideful, you know... Okay, I've been called, and I, you know, that makes me pretty special. And then you start looking down on other people, mm-hmm. you know, with the judgmental attitude because you're, you're yeah. set apart and chosen. Mm-hmm. They're not. Yeah, that that kind of referring to that First Peter two nine verse. Um, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. So, yeah, we can get a little proud of that. Whoa, oh, the Lord called me. Yeah, right? But I like, I looked up Second Peter 1.10. Mm-hmm. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So there's an ongoing thing you need to keep, keep working towards that, working out your salvation part. Mm-hmm. I think you can also cheapen God's grace in saying that, oh yeah, Paul was a murderer, so, you know, like, nobody should be hurt anymore because you, because he killed your family member. You just, like, I don't know, you can cheapen the process of, of that yes, that was sinful, mm-hmm. and that was hurtful. Now let's work towards forgiveness, mm-hmm. or let's work towards um those those challenges. So sometimes I've seen churches like, oh yeah, they've they've repented of it, 
but there's been no fruit or um, they disregard the people who have been hurt by that person when they come to know the Lord. Okay, yeah. So making light of sin, maybe. I think there's also a temptation sometimes to, and before I came into a good understanding of like what the general versus effectual call and the Lord's election and all that is, it can feel like the Lord loves people almost in levels and because he hasn't like, he's not calling everyone and he's not choosing everyone, that he doesn't love anybody, um, which is a warped or twisting of this doctrine mm-hmm. as well. So I think yeah. that there's a temptation to think that way. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of people that will, when you talk to somebody about these kinds of things, they might get really offended at God that, well, why why are that, that person good enough and this person's not? Why is God just choosing, you know? Now, the problem is that they're focusing on, on a human standard of, of righteousness, right? So if you just look at it at, from a human's perspective, like some people are better than others, some people are murderers, and some people are what, all that kind of stuff. But in, in, by God's standard, who deserves salvation? No one. What, do, what does every single human deserve? Hell for eternity because we've rejected him. So God, in his mercy, chooses to save. It's not that some of, we were all just kind of the same, we're all just kind of you know, morally equal, and he chooses so that some are going to be good, the others he'll just cast off. No. All of them are rebels and hostile in mind and hating God. And in his love and his mercy, he saves the elect. He chooses some. Nobody deserves it. That's why, that, that's what way we can combat some of that pride is I deserve the wrath of God. And yet, in his mercy... I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why. But he set his love on me. Not because I'm super great or I have these gifts or these talents or he needs me on his team or he needs me to do... God's wondering how this is going to work out, but he needs... No. All of us, none is righteous. Not even one. None seeks after God. All are wicked. So that's true of everyone and in his mercy. That should be the amazing part, that he would save anyone. That's the part that should stun us. When we see humanity correctly, when we see ourselves individually correctly, it should floor us that he would save us. All right. So, any, any more comments on the general or the effective call? I think this can be twisted too. Some people have a, enough of a knowledge maybe of this. They think they understand it. And if you would share the gospel, they will say, well, that's not God's effectual call. Therefore, I will not repent. God hasn't really called me. I'm not really elected. So I've heard people that are agnostic debate Calvinists, and they have that line. Well, I would respond, but obviously God hasn't chosen me. Right. And that's not the right attitude to have. You know. Right. Uh, so, or as a justification yeah. to continue in, right. a, in a pattern of sin. So, right. Well, if, if I was elect, right. God would, called me, I would stop this. Yeah. So it's all up to God. It's in His hands. Yeah, not my fault. Right. It's, not, fault. it's how He made me. Like, that, kind of, that kind of thinking. No. The call of God to every sinner is what? 
repent. repent. Yeah. Believe the gospel. So no one's going to be able to say, well, God, you didn't, you didn't call me. You didn't effectively call me. So I just did what I did. Now, the call is to, for everyone, repent. Believe the gospel. Good point. We have time for one more. Let's do regeneration. Let us see. Who had that one? Okay. Alan. Well, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 talks about getting a new heart and a new spirit, and then God changing your heart of stone to heart of flesh. Mm. So uh, you get to be a new person, and uh, you know it's just a great thing to get a new heart, new spirit, and heart of flesh. Yeah. So. Uh, Objections to that, we thought maybe someone might think that that would be a too controlling or maybe have too many rules. Okay. Can't follow the rules. We want to do that. Yeah. Allow me to read, I'm going to read that definition real quick. So it's the sovereign and invisible work of God, of God the Holy Spirit, transforming us from people who are opposed to him to people who love him. Okay, so, that's, so there's uh, yeah. Heath Lambert's definition of regeneration. Continue there, Alan. That's the new heart part. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So how can it be a comfort? Well, be a comfort is you get a new heart and you, uh, you know, you maybe need to recognize you've got a heart of stone, but mm -hmm. a new heart and a new spirit and a, a new start. Yeah. Which would be a comfort, I think, to me. Sometimes mm -hmm. we need to be reminded. Hey, you've, you've got a new heart. You don't have to. Counseling is a, a Christian. You don't have to keep sinning like that. Christ has given you a new heart. He is, you are a new creation. It's comforting, too, because some of those passages say that he gives you the ability with this new heart to actually obey and love him. Mm -hmm. Any other comments? Next one, Alan. You guys said, uh, did you say talk about the how it's warped or twisted? Yeah. Well, yeah. Are you talking about the Corinthians or number? No, well, just number nineteen. In general, how can regeneration be? Well, that yeah, you think it would be too controlling or okay, okay. Don't want to submit to all the rules, that kind of thing. Okay. Any other answers on that one? Sometimes it's just neglected, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's just, you just leave it out, leave regeneration out, just, hey, don't do those things. Do these things, and you're a Christian. Behaviorism can kind of, what you guys were talking about, behaviorism can be a danger. Because if you neglect the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm hmm so behavior, what do you mean by that, uh, Emily? Behaviorism. Behaviorism is the psychology view that um, your your behavior, what you do can change, but the heart does not change, or the motives don't change, mm -hmm. or your thinking does not change. Mm -hmm. So yeah, focus on just behavior modification. It can also breed like self-righteousness and pride, mm -hmm. because you could be like, oh, well, I'm changing. I 
decided to do this instead of saying, no, I'm only changing because of the Holy Spirit. Okay. I think the speed of it is a, an issue as well. I've been doing this for a long time. Why, why am I not regenerated? Why haven't I overcome this one yet? Mm-hmm. Should have happen right away. Yeah, and, and with some people, if you're, if you're talking to someone who's clearly not a Christian, and they get, I, I'm reminded of like John 6 when Jesus, Jesus is talking to the people, the, the people who are following him, not really his <coughs> disciples, but he's like, why are you getting angry? Let me just go there so I don't misquote it. So John 6, he's talking to the crowds. They're, they're increasingly getting more and more upset with what he's saying. Um, let's see here. Going through, he just did the, the miracle, fed, fed them with bread. Um, 61. Yeah, possibly. There's, okay, let's go 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread of, that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he, say, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered, don't, don't grumble amongst yourselves. Say, don't grumble. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So it's something that, that Jesus is like, you guys are getting angry. You don't get angry. And it, and it keeps going. It, it kind of, Ramps up, 52, says the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh drinks my, drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. And he continues, maybe I'll, so 60, which one did you say, Heather? 60? 60. 60 and 61 talk about Jesus' disciples were grumbling. Mm-hmm. 61 says... His disciples were grumbling about this and said right. to them, you take offense at this. Yeah. So that, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? So this, this idea that like, the Father has to draw you. And so if you're counseling someone who's just getting really angry, say, hey, hey hold on. You have to have a new heart. Let's pray together. The, the Holy Spirit needs to come and regenerate your heart. You're trying to do this just by white-knuckling and focusing on your behavior which is basically just like the symptom here. That's the fruit of the real problem, which is down in your heart. You have a heart of stone. And so you need the Holy Spirit to regenerate your heart. Well, with what Lauren was saying, they were offended mm-hmm. in that verse. I think it can be offensive to people because we, we want to enact change in our own life. We want to have that control. Mm-hmm. We want to have the pride that I did it on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you, you can't change your own heart, right? Very good. Any other comments on that one? I want to say, too, that there's a kind of prevailing philosophy of things that the reason you act the way you act is because of things outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your environment or your family upbringing or mm-hmm. genetics. And so you just are the way you are. And that this doesn't seem to be a reality. Mm-hmm. It's like an impossible one. So the, the fix is actually uh, change your circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Get divorced. Yeah. Get out of that relationship or whatever. That I had some conversations recently uh, with in regards to how do you how do you help? Uh, so I'm in education. How do you help students not be mean to each other? What do we do to kind of set up this situation to where how do we teach them things, train them so that they're not mean? Good luck. 
Well, like, that's their heart. Okay? They are sinners. Okay? There's not anything that I can, I can put the right things in place in a classroom or at your home with my own children. Can't mess with their eating schedule, their sleeping schedule. It's like, oh, they're just doing that because, you know, if something outside of the, their, their poor little, little hungry or they need a nap. Like, now that might be true. <laughs> That's true. But it's also because how do they? Why do they respond the way they do? It's they're sinners. They're sinful. They want what they want. They want it now. Okay, and they'll do whatever it takes to to get it that way. So there is a limit to my ability to change somebody's heart. Okay. What's the limit? I have zero ability to change somebody's heart. Okay. So with, with our own children or with the people that you're discipling, like you, I can't do that in them. I can't put the, give them the right medicines. Oh, <laughs> right? right? It's just, if I could just get the chemicals right, then they'll, they'll respond better. They won't be so mean or so depressed or so anxious or so fearful. That's not the issue. Those are symptoms of a heart issue, a heart that is set on self-gratification, self-worship, self-exaltation. You can't change their heart, but you can lead them or guide them to the person. We pray and we give them, we give them the gospel. That How does the Holy Spirit work in somebody's life to change them, to regenerate their hearts? The gospel. I used to give them a memory verse, you know, when they would dispute with one another. And the first one was Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted. And the first person who got it, and I was a school bus driver, so I'd give it to the two students on the bus. The first one who got it got a dollar, and everybody was learning it, you know, <laughs> first, you know, but just, you know. And so, but of the two that would dispute, the first woman got it right, would get a dollar in. It was amazing, you know, that they started responding that to that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. And so, yeah, so telling them the verses, like, <laughs> maybe giving them an incentive to learn. <laughs> That's good. That, but we, all the while, we're praying. We're praying that the Lord would regenerate, that the Holy Spirit would go in and give them a heart of flesh and take out the heart of stone, to give them desires to follow the Lord, to walk in obedience to Him. I just have to quickly say, I've been talking to my husband for a month. We've never been separated this long. So tender tender memories, you know, start cropping up. But when you mention you can't change their heart, he's a pediatrician. He was late for work one morning. Kids were sick. He was stressed. He broke his egg yolk. For you men who make eggs... I don't really care, <laughs> but for a man who doesn't want that yoke broken in the human, it was the end of the world. <laughs> and I just thought this the other, he just got angry, threw the spatula, threw the pan in the sink, was mad at the world. I thought, well, I, I can't change his heart. What can I do? So I walked out of the room. And I came back in and I said, well, it could have been worse. <laughs> I said, well, you could, it could be, you could be Joe. And he looked at me and he said, where on earth did that come from? He started laughing. Okay, so there was a change of heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea why I did that, but it was, you know, I just thought, you can't change their hearts, but you can. Yeah, never mind. Very good. Any final comments on regeneration?
we'll, we'll stop there. We'll pick back up with letter D, conversion, when we come back next week.